0: We're going to do scripture now, and then we're in Nehemiah, and it's chapter 5, verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews, and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance." Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on his people. Remember for my God, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time, I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sandoval and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together Ed." in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it it was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem, also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now I went into the house of Shemiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away, And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God. According to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who went to make me afraid.
1: Good morning. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Let me pray for you. (laughs) God, thank you for these people. We ask, Lord, for your blessing upon us as we explore and look at your word here. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each person individually here as to what they need to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. We pick up our series in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14, and in this section of scriptures we'll be covering this morning, we'll notice a very important principle, and it's this. It's when and how to say yes, and when and how to say no. And so some of you may have read through that section, like how in the world is this guy choosing that as a principle? You'll see. Okay, So let's start out in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce, so essentially to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live, and this is essentially saying yes, to self-control upright and godly lives in the present age. All four of my children were taught yes and no at an early age, as were many of yours. And what I observed in them and my limited experience in dealing with babies and toddlers is that they learn the word no pretty quickly. So my 21-month-old toddler will even say, no way! And this started like several months ago. I don't know how she added the way in there, but that's when she really means no, is when she says, no way! So no is a really important word, as is yes. And so in looking at our section of scriptures today, we'll be taking a closer look at these really powerful words, yes and no. So when we look at things like temptation, no is an important word to exercise. And if you can't say no when you need to say no, you can get into some serious problems. It's important to know when and how to say no and when and how to say yes. See, the no helps us to discern what is before us so that we can hopefully exercise a wiser yes, to exercise the better yes. Nehemiah was a person who was well-disciplined in the yes and the no, and when it came to things of God, he was a yes man. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And we talked about amen last week. And when it wasn't of God, then His answer was no. James wrote in James 5, verse 12, But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Nehemiah was disciplined in his yes and his no which is a really important discipline to develop, no matter who we are, as it applies to all of us, and moms, happy Mother's Day. I did not forget. I just haven't called mine yet. It's too early for her. But you know this is especially true for you mothers as your responsibility as a mother of when to say yes, how to say yes, when to say no, how to say no. In this section of scriptures, we'll see Nehemiah exercise the discipline of yes and no in five different areas that we're going to look at this morning. In verses 14 through 19, we'll see him exercise no in regards to excess, in regards to excessive benefit. Now, while he's saying no to that, he's saying yes to something else. He's saying yes to contentment. In regards to privileges, he had many of them as a governor. Nehemiah was someone who received some advantages as the king's cupbearer. And then when he became governor in Jerusalem, he could have milked all the privileges and benefits that he wanted to as governor, but he doesn't do that. Let's take a look at verses 14 and 15. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. He had access to some really, really great privileges as a governor. A food allowance and a daily ration of 40 shekels of silver. But these were heavy burdens on the people, especially in a time of famine. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary for the governor to have these privileges, and how easy it would have been for Nehemiah to just assume these benefits as he stepped into these roles. But he was content. He was fine without those things, and that was his first yes. He recognized that this was a time of famine, and it wasn't an appropriate time for him to burden the people in this way because they were already experiencing hardship. Now, why did Nehemiah choose this path? It's at the end of verse 15 there. It's because of the fear of the Lord. These were God's people. And if he mistreated these people, he would be accountable to how he was treating them. Verses 16 through 18. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds. And every ten days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. The food allowance for the governor was too heavy of a burden on these people. And he would answer to God for putting that overbearing burden on them. Some of us may confess that we know God, that we have a relationship with God, but do we fear God so that we do the right thing when the time comes? Now fear in the senses of reverence, respect, because if we say we know God and we have a relationship with God, but we don't revere him or respect him, what good is that knowledge? What good is that relationship? Nehemiah revered God. And when it came to these excessive gubernatorial benefits, Nehemiah said, no, no. And that was a tangible way for him to live out this compassion for his people and this reverence for God. Now, it didn't mean that Nehemiah was a starving college student eating Top Ramen and beans and rice. Like, that's not what it was, right? He was not a person that was without. But he exercised generosity and hospitality. And what he was paid with, and what he already had and brought with him, he shared that. You look at verses 17 and 18 that 150 people ate at the table with him and there were other nations. Those people were there too. All at his expense. Each day an ox, six sheep and birds. And every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. His own expense, not from the people. So this guy's obviously really well off. And he shared his wealth with the people. See, it's not sinful to be materially rich. You can be. But what do you do with those riches? Nehemiah had fame, riches, opportunity, influence, power, celebrity, which were all great temptations in his life to live like governors before him lived. But he said, no, no to those excessive benefits of his predecessors, and he said yes to contentment. Now look at what was really important to Nehemiah in verse 19. Remember for my good, O my God, that all that I have done for this people. So reverence for God, compassion for his people, saying no to excess, yes to contentment, and here's his second no. It was no to pride. Going into chapter 6, verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gate. So the wall was built so that there was no breach in it. And if we look ahead in verse 15, we read that it took only 52 days to build. That's something to brag about. That's something to say, I'm awesome. Right? Look at what I did. But Nehemiah doesn't do this, right? His successes don't get to his head. He doesn't take credit for himself. He didn't allow the glory to be given to him because he knew God was the one to put him in the position, first of all, as a cupbearer to get the attention of the king. God was the one to give favor to him through the king, to give him the resources to rebuild the wall and make that 800, 900 mile trek from Susa to Jerusalem to rebuild that wall without any prior experience or skills or gifting, and to inspire all of these people who had been oppressed for generations to rebuild this wall. God did all of that. Nehemiah said no to pride, which means he said yes to humility. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now something about humility. Silence is very closely tied to it. Silence when we don't have the last word, when we don't need to justify ourselves as we let our lives under God speak for itself. And oftentimes, the more prideful we are, the more we have to say. Have you ever noticed this? That humble people don't talk as much as arrogant people. Isn't that something that's pretty obvious? So Nehemiah said, no to excess, no to pride. Yes, to contentment. Yes, to humility. And here's Nehemiah's third no. Inattentiveness. You look back to 1 Peter chapter 5, this time verse 8, and Peter wrote, Be sober-minded, be watchful. And when we looked at First Peter just a few months ago when we were in that study, we know Peter exhorted his listeners to this many, many times. Let's look at several of them. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, let your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. First Peter Chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And later this year we'll be heading into a second Peter series. And in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, he wrote this: Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was someone who found out firsthand what inattentiveness resulted in. The account of what happened is found in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 37. We'll just go down to verse 41. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray And in his letters he wanted to make sure the followers of Jesus following this time of him learning this lesson that they were watchful, attentive, alert, sober-minded, self-controlled, mindful. He didn't just write watch and he didn't just write pray. He wrote watch and pray. And we know Nehemiah to be a person of prayer and action. Nehemiah was attentive, he was alert, he was watchful, he was mindful, and we need to be people of discernment and not just believe everything everyone says about anything. And this is what he faced, verse 2, chapter 6, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. See, this seemed not right to Nehemiah, as it probably seems to you reading the account of Nehemiah. All these threats, all this jeering, and suddenly, you want to meet with me? You recruited an entire people group to cover the shore, the Mediterranean Sea, the Ashtadites to surround us so that we have no place to go. And now you want to meet? Now, some people get suckered into things like this. They get suckered into schemes and lies and deceit because they trust too much. They let their guards down too much. And in our prayers to God, in our trust in God, we can't forget that He also gave us a mind. A mind to think through this stuff. A mind to practice discernment. And this is what Nehemiah said yes to. Mindfulness. To be mindful. To be mindful and use discernment in our decisions. See, when I drop off my kids at school, Sometimes I have to park a few blocks away because it's just the parking's limited, no parking lot. And there are some streets that have to be crossed, some really busy streets like Alcatraz. On a weekday morning when people are going to work is really busy. So these cars sometimes, they just fly through the crosswalks. Even though there's school signs and all this kind of stuff, they just go through there. I pray for safety for my kids. I trust God to keep my kids safe. He also gave me a mind. He gave me a mind so that I am mindful that I need to walk them across that busy street. I don't just say, all right, trust in the Lord. Go ahead. like Do it yourself. We don't do that. We pray. We trust God. That doesn't give us license to be naive. We have to act on that too. So no to excess, no to pride, no to inattentiveness, Yes, to contentment, humility, mindfulness, which brings us to Nehemiah's fourth no, which is diversion. Verses three through eight is about this. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner, in the same way Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, that is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports, so now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. See, Nehemiah didn't get diverted. He knew what his purpose, what his mission, what his calling was, which is the fourth yes. Mission, purpose, calling. And the question he asked is a question we need to all ask ourselves. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? That's a fantastic question. It's a great question. It's a question that we all need to ask ourselves, especially when God has placed a calling in your life. When he's placed a purpose, a mission in your life. Let's look at the example of Jesus. Back to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And this thing starts out like a tech IPO. I mean, it just blows up, right? Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 28. And at once his fame spread out everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus was gaining followers by the dozen and performing miracle after miracle. And now you look at verse 33 in chapter 1. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Picture this. Jesus is continuing to heal. He's continuing to cast out demons from people. And we pick up this biographical account of Jesus from Mark's perspective in verse 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Are you getting what happened? Because if this was maybe you, or probably me, if like people were on not... Hello, all my subjects, I'm here. What would be my bidding? I need some money, I need some stuff. You know, this is not Jesus, though. Jesus goes off to a desolate place. He doesn't go out to the crowds and start shaking hands and taking pictures with babies and kissing babies and doing all this stuff. He goes off and he does this. See, Jesus was a rock star in Capernaum. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Capernaum. It is beautiful. It is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It is a gorgeous place to be. He could have just set up shop there. People loved him. He's just healing people. Things are just great. He could have made it big there. Riches, fame, status. But look at what he said in verse 38. That is why I came out. There's a specific purpose there. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that purpose, is why I came out. Jesus did not get diverted with all of this attention, with all of this awesome ministry going on. Just like Nehemiah would not be diverted from his call. He had a purpose. He was on a mission. It's Mother's Day. I have to slip this in. You moms have an incredibly high calling as a mom. And there are so many things that can cause diversion in your life. As a mother. To bring you off of that wall. Off of that mission. Off of that purpose. Off of that calling of motherhood. I want to point something out to you because oftentimes when women are reading Proverbs 31, they're just looking at, oh, what I need to be and look at the ideal woman and all this kind of stuff. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but let me read it to you. Just the first verse. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother... Taught him. Have you ever noticed that about that proverb? It's written by a dude, but it was taught to him by his mom. <laughs> Mothers have a profound effect on their children. Your calling as a mother to say no to diversions and yes to your mission, to your purpose, to your calling, as God has called you to be a mom. Last thing Nehemiah said no to, fear and anxiety. So no to excess, no to pride, no to inattentiveness, no to diversion, and then lastly, no to fear and anxiety. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehatabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetesses, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Before we look at Nehemiah's last no here to fear and anxiety, let's look at Nehemiah, the person of prayer. Because that's what he did in verses 9 and 14. He always knew where to turn. And where we turn shows where our hope lies. Where do you turn in times of fear? Where do you turn when you're seeking wisdom and discernment in times of trouble? Where do you go? And this is something that gifted people, experienced people, may struggle with because they're so talented, so experienced, so well-resourced, well-connected, and skilled. They have so many places to turn that God is not one of those places. In our church, we have enough talent, gifts, and skills to run a really, really good nonprofit organization. I'm convinced of it. Some of you work in nonprofits and are leaders in your nonprofit, but that's not all we are. The church is a living organism that needs more than organizational management, strategic thinking, thoughtful marketing, and great products and services. Our mission is to reach the world with the gospel and to equip and encourage people into a more intimate relationship with God and with one another. That deep intimacy with God is not developed in that sort of mechanical way as we run a nonprofit. The richness, that depth, is only achieved spiritually. It is a living thing. And the only way to reach it is in spiritual ways, like prayer. That's what happened to Jesus in Mark chapter 1. How was he so grounded not to get swept away by fame, not to get swept away by all the accolades that he was receiving and to say, let's go to the next town. How did he do that? How did Nehemiah Do this. And not get diverted or not get scared about the threats and to stay on mission. How was Nehemiah able to say no to so many temptations, excess, pride, inattentiveness, diversion, fear and anxiety? It's his prayer life. We see his prayer life peppered through Nehemiah. He was grounded in prayer. And through his prayers... He received this last yes. He received assurance and reassurance. Because every time he prayed, he would be assured by God. And then he prayed again and he would be reassured by God. Nehemiah was able to say no to these temptations. But sometimes the things that we need to say no to aren't necessarily bad things. Sometimes they're good things actually. This is where we need to be disciplined. We need to be disciplined about when and how to say no to things that are not as good as what we say yes to. It's just not the best thing. It's not the superior thing in God's eyes. And those are the things we can say no to. It's just not the best thing. It's a good thing, not the best thing. To say yes to things such as contentment. Humility, mindfulness, watchfulness, purpose, call, mission, assurance, reassurance from the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and discernment to know when and to know how to say yes and no. Father, with so many things pulling us, we pray, Lord, that you would give us a clear direction, a clear path as to where you desire us to occupy, to live. I pray, Lord, for a special blessing just on all the mothers here, Lord. Thank you for that calling you've called them to, and sometimes they may be overwhelmed with that calling, and I ask, God, that you would strengthen them that you would give them patience, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them direction. In Jesus' name, amen.